Hi, everybody. It's Cheryl. And in this episode, we speak to our mutual and dear friend, Wendy. All three of us have a sweet spot for each other's kiddos and often bond over how to incorporate our culture in our family life. Inviting Wendy to be on the show really came out of our own desires to hear more about her profession as a special education teacher in public schools and her experiences of work in different seasons of life. Wendy has been a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, and most recently, a mom to a newborn during early COVID times. Honestly, it was a nice break for all of us to be able to talk about how our own family histories influenced our thoughts about work and our burgeoning Asian mom superpowers. It was also more fun to have a real conversation without our kiddos around. What we didn't get to do on the show is acknowledge that all work at the office and at home is work, labors of mommy love, even if not paid. Thanks for joining us. You are listening to the Oakland Asian Mom Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of Oakland Asian Mom. And today, Sarah and I talk to our very dear friend, Wendy. Uh, And Wendy uh, is not only dear because we've been friends and our friends have been friends, but also because she's definitely one of our biggest listeners and fans. So (laughs) we are so glad to have you here and join us today, Wendy. Thanks for having me. And I have loved listening to the conversations you've had with all your guests. Cool. And so, um, well, before we jump in, we're going to ask you, how do you identify ethnically or culturally? And then how would you describe your partner and kids in terms of like race and identity? And if you want to add like where you grew up, let us know about that too. Sure. Um, I identify as Taiwanese American. Um, Both of my parents immigrated to the U.S. from Taiwan in the 80s. Uh, together. And um, yeah, so I definitely call myself Taiwanese. And I will correct you if you call me Chinese. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my husband is mixed race, um, Chinese and white. And his white side is has roots in Ireland and Germany. Um, and so that makes our kids mixed race, uh, Taiwanese, Chinese and, and white. Um, and my husband and I both grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, he's lived here his whole life, and I've lived here almost my whole life, uh, except for one year where I lived in Canada. Yeah. Well, when, when Sarah and I first thought of inviting you as a guest, um, we were like, oh, my gosh, we could talk about so many different things uh, with Wendy, knowing her gifts and talents. And I think we're going to just start on ask you, um, you know, when we reached out. One of the reasons why we reached out is because we knew your profession as a background, as a special ed teacher in the public schools. And so um, tell us a little bit about that and what started your interest in the work. So I knew in high school that I wanted to be a teacher, um, probably a little bit to my parents' dismay, you know, having um, parents who probably had pretty high aspirations for me um, for their kids as 
you know, as immigrant parents do. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And then in high school, during my senior year, I did some volunteer work with kids with Down syndrome. Mm. Uh, and that was kind of my first experience working with and interacting with um, anybody with disabilities. And mm. if you've ever interacted with anybody with Down syndrome, they're pretty charming. And yeah, I, I quickly fell in love with that volunteer experience. And and then in college, I took some classes up on disabilities, the disabilities rights, um, and that movement, which had roots in Berkeley. And that's when I learned about some of the the history of injustice and um, exclusion that folks with disabilities faced in the public school system. They weren't allowed to be educated in mm -hmm. public schools until the 1970s mm -hmm. um, when when IDEA, the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, passed in 1975. So that's, that's very recent. Yeah. Um, and prior to that, um, yeah, children with disabilities were either, you know, educated privately or put in institutions um, and didn't, you know, unless you had something that um, was pretty invisible, then mm -hmm. you re weren't really um, given a place in the public school system. And so, you know, in college, when I had learned about that, I uh, had also learned about the movement since 1975 and how um, there's been a push to have kids with disabilities educated alongside the rest of the population, because that's what the real world is like. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, in college, I decided that that's what I wanted to do, that if I was going to be a teacher, then I wanted to teach those who, um, yeah, who didn't have a chance before. And, uh, and I think the experience that I had in high school made it something that felt like it would be meaningful for me and something that I would enjoy. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to attend um, a credential program at CSU East Bay and their emphasis there is really on um, inclusion and mm -hmm. how to educate kids with disabilities alongside um, kind of kids in the general population. All of my special ed teaching experience has actually been in inclusive settings, which I'm really grateful for. And um, it's something that has been really, uh, it's been challenging, but also really meaningful um, to help students, some of whom have, have disabilities that really impact a lot of their aspects of their lives from their communication to their mm -hmm. Um, cognitive abilities and helping them find a place socially and academically in a general education classroom. So, I'm really struck by your longevity um, in terms of your your passion and commitment. Having a seed not only planted in you, high school, mm -hmm. but to follow that through into all your phases of your life. They're they're just I'm just yeah I'm just really struck by the direction. Wendy, yeah. one question I have is. I'm sure that you're working with students who have, you know, very different disabilities. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering um, how do you approach sort of creating like an individual sort of like pathway for kids mm -hmm. who um, have very different needs? And is that sort of a struggle or is it like a challenge that you enjoy? I'm just kind of wondering about that part of your work. 
Yeah. So part of being a special education teacher is writing something called an individualized education plan. And um, each child has one that's tailor made for them. Um, and it's based on, you know, assessments and collaboration with other um, folks who know the students. So that can be their family, it can be their um, caseworkers, it can be other specialists that work with them. Um, and I always found that that was one of the most powerful ways of coming mm-hmm. together and figuring out what would work for this student. It's easy to get overwhelmed when it's just me trying to figure it out for my student. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that I love most about special education, um, particularly inclusion, and that I miss a lot is like that collaboration and just being able to work with other people who have the same goal for the student and building a program that can help these students meet their goals and yeah, to grow and and to grow in ways that that are important to themselves, that are important to their family, but that are also important for them as, as learners and students. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's really trying to take what their strengths are and yeah, so really having a good idea of what they are good at, but also their interests and then going from there, learning how to set realistic goals and achievable, achievable goals mm-hmm. um, and then documenting that into a very... Detail plan. Yes. <laughs> Detailed and legal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it's very interdisciplinary conversation. Um, when I was doing clinical work, um, mm-hmm. many of my clients either um, had existing IEPs mm-hmm. and or needed support advocating for one to be in place. So I know that document um, very well and how much parents or how much I learned through the process of, of being doing clinical work of the amount of rights parents have to be able to advocate for their child. But when you talk about inclusion, um, it feels like that in itself, where the student is placed in the classroom and not mm-hmm. separated. In a separate class, we call those special day classes or yeah, resource, sometimes resource classrooms can be pull out, but they can also be um, separated, se- segregated altogether. But yeah, inclusion generally means that they're yeah. pretty much full-time in the classroom, yeah, in a general education classroom. Yeah. And probably, um, one of the most underfunded departments in public, in, you know, public school districts. Yeah. I mean, I think the funding issue, you can look at it as funding special education separately, but you can also look at it as just funding really high quality public education. And that, um, would serve all the students who Mm -hmm. attend that school. You know, hearing you talk about your work so passionately and um, knowing that you had taken a break uh, from work, how many, three years? Two, almost three years now. So when you had your first child, you were Mm -hmm. working and doing the balance. And Mm -hmm. um, I think your first child was, I remember in daycare and then preschool. Mm -hmm. And then with your last two, Mm-hmm. Um, you made the transition from for, for being at home uh, full time. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, la- the last year you had your, your last baby, um, the days before. Uh, it was the week. That, the week of <laughs> the week that shelter in place started. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, um, it made sense. Everybody was mm-hmm. home at that point. Now that we're slowly, now that your kids are older, 
your COVID baby is no longer is I mean he's he's like a year and plus now yeah he's 16 months yeah have you had time to reflect about this sort of long transition of being you know in the in the workforce um you know even if it's part-time it's like still straddling work Mm -hmm. and home and then the transition of kind of staying full-time at home you know what has been some of the challenges what are the joys what do you miss or not miss about working? Um, I mean, in some like when I was working and when I am home, um, I was with kids all day. So That's some right. <laughs> there was um, some some consistency. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but being a working mom is hard. I mean, obviously, you both know that uh, that balance. And I think I worked for five years as a teacher before I had my first child. Um, and then when I had my child, my, my eldest, I think I felt even more, I, I mean, I, you know, being a teacher, you always know that it's a privilege to have your students all day um, mm. and to, it's like other people are entrusting you with their children. You know, mm. and I think I, I felt that um, even as a first year teacher, that these are, these are people's kids and they're, they're um, children that are deeply loved and I, I think I just felt that on a different level when I became a mom myself. Um, and I think part of that is also what made it really hard to be a teacher yeah. um, and have a family of my own. I think feeling that responsibility for the students that I had and um, wanting them to succeed and wanting them to um, develop friendships with, with peers and to to feel like they belonged in a school, to make progress, you know, academically, like all of those things take a lot of planning and a lot of um, work, (laughs) a lot Mm -hmm. of um, prep and materials. And um, yeah, I think that that was something that was really hard for me to find the right balance for. Um, And I think that's been one of the things I've thought about is that it's been easier for me as a mom to set boundaries and like to be, when I'm a stay at home mom, I, I like, I feel like I have a little bit more confidence, I think in some ways. And I don't know how much of that is like in the work world, like being, being an Asian American woman, you know, in, yeah. in, um, in the work world like that. I, I always felt like I had to prove myself and mm-hmm. and then also being a, a teacher like you always want to do the best for your students and their families and um, yeah I think as a mom I feel like I feel like I'm a pretty decent mom and I know that I'm not perfect but I know that like I'm in this for the really long haul and I'm gonna make mistakes and and that's okay like I, I can yeah. talk about that with my kids I can talk about that with my husband <clears throat> bit more grace for myself and for some reason I, I had a really hard time doing that as a teacher mm-hmm. um, I think that feeling of not doing enough for my students um, was one that weighed really heavily on me uh, and so I don't know I'm hoping that you know in this time of being at home like knowing that I am able to show myself more grace um, as a mom, because um, mm-hmm. we need that, right? Like we make a lot of mistakes as moms um, that I can bring that in back to teaching when I re-enter the teaching force. Um, 
Yeah, because I do miss the work that I do. Um, thought a lot about what I might do when I go back. It, it, sometimes it's daunting to think about taking a three-year break and it's going to be a four-year break because I've extended my leave for one more year. Um, yeah, to think about what I might do going back. And I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'll go back into special education. I think that's definitely a possibility. But I also really cherish the time that I have right now. I think there are times when I um, can judge myself, you know, for like not being able to, to balance like the work and like being a working mom and, and making that choice to stay home. But I also, I also just really love like the baby phase and the toddler phase and just being able to be home with my kids. Um, it's been really a gift and um, I cherish it so much, you know, I think just, yeah, being able to, to go through that um, and to be with them has been, yeah, a real blessing for me. I kind of feel that all parents who have had the privilege of working from home have a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be at home, <laughs> right? Like, um, so I, I I resonate with like, oh, there is a sort of this joy, even though I was like always looking on my email or or like in meetings, on Zoom meetings, um, I felt like, oh, I thought about actually like, I, you know, did I do I wish I spent more time at home? Because you're right, the baby phase was so awesome. You know, dropping off my first at daycare, I think I had a really, you know, it was a really hard week. And then mm. my first in kindergarten, you know, tears all around, both me and my child. My, my first one seemed to have a lot of tears <laughs> at those moments. My second was like, see a mom later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's something about the second that's like, um, got it. See you later, you know. <laughs> So yeah, I, there is always this like tug at my heart of like, um, you know, when you say we're not perfect, we make the best decision we can to have that kind of choice is definitely a privilege. Something I think my mom really didn't have any second thoughts about it. In fact, she was the one that really kind of pushed me to be like, you got to go back. You got to go back. I'll mm -hmm. take care of your kids. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Um, yeah. Sarah, do you? You have a pensive look on your face. Yeah, you know, I feel like, um, yeah, I can resonate with what you're saying, Cheryl. Like my, during the school year, because school is remote, my daughter who was in kindergarten was pretty much with us the whole year. But now she's going to some summer camps. And like the end of the day, when she comes home, I'm like, wow, I didn't see you all day. <laughs> that was the norm before, you know? Yeah, I know. I would I would leave the house before they even woke up because oh, I, yeah. I had to commute to San Francisco. And then I would pick her up at like five. And yeah, that was really our day. So there has been a richness <laughs> in um, being able to be at home with the kids mm -hmm. though it has also been stressful oh totally yeah like just yeah uh, it was an unexpected joy for sure well I wonder if we could ask you um you know during COVID uh, there was a lot of stories like in, in the media about COVID babies right mm -hmm. and the first year especially when there was so much unknown about COVID its effects you know the transmission all that do you recall any of those early months of what was it like? Because it was probably really different 
from the newborn experiences you've had before. So are they any insights or sort of like, or maybe it wasn't the same because sometimes when you do have your newborn, you're just really holed up in your house anyway. Yeah, I was reflecting on that. And I think, um, you know, I think having three kids at the start of the pandemic, we probably would have stayed home a lot anyways. Um, And it was like such a bonus to have my husband at home because, you know, with the other two, he took two weeks off and then was back at home. Back back in the office. Um, And then this time he took six weeks off, I think. Uh, and then after six weeks, he was home, working from home, um, which was so helpful, you know, I think yeah. in, in a pinch, like just to have him around. Um, so I feel like the beginning of the pandemic felt uh, exhausting because of having a newborn, but didn't feel, I think we would have been home a lot anyways. Um, yeah, is when he went back to work in the office. That was a little bit more of a shock to all of our systems. Because <laughs> oh, then, like, yeah, our parents were still waiting to get vaccinated. So mm-hmm. um, it was in the middle of the surge when he went back to work. And we're like, oh, I don't have very much help right now. And I have three kids. And one of them is doing Zoom school. And the other one is active. <laughs> so, um <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely challenging once my husband was working outside of the office. We were really cautious during the early months, partly because we had a newborn, but also because of my own, you know, health conditions. And so it it kind of made things easy <laughs> just to say like, okay, we're we're not doing anything. We're just going to yeah. be home and we'll walk around our neighborhood or we'll drive to other places where we're by ourselves. Like scheduling is simplified in that way. Um and then not having to get anyone anywhere physically in the mornings, like reduced a lot of stress. So I don't know. It's been, it was manageable in the beginning. And, you know, we, we went through a period of, <laughs> of having to really adjust once, um, once my husband went back to work. But Have you observed any differences in your youngest because he hasn't probably had as many social interactions with non-family members or or Mm -hmm. is it just like normal kind of baby behavior I mean I think when when we went out in public he was pretty and like more aware he was definitely pretty overwhelmed um (laughs) and like seeing people with masks like you can't see their faces Mm, yeah that's yeah I I think that was kind of just like disorienting for him Mm -hmm. um I feel like as time has gone on and we've kind of ventured out a little bit more, he's adjusted. So, you know, kids are really resilient and flexible. And I think he's come around and gets less overwhelmed. Uh, But in the beginning is definitely like shocking for him to (laughs) be at a park, you know, and like see so many people and see people in masks. And yeah. Yeah. It's like (laughs) traveling to another planet or something. (laughs) I know. I wonder when he grows up with his same age friends who were born in 2020, Mm -hmm. it's going to be like historical, you know, it's going to be so interesting. They won't necessarily remember, but they'll have, you know, these pre-verbal body memories of what Mm -hmm. it was like. And Mm -hmm. so I always want to like, oh, I want to interview him when he gets older (laughs) and ask him like, do you remember 
just seeing people's eyes, you know, like, <laughs> like with the masks and everything, or, or just yeah. even think about interviewing our kids. Like, what was that like? Um, yeah. I mean, we're still kind of going through it and there's still, you know, we're still not out of the clear. Um, but I think I've having so many conversations with friends, with family, with coworkers about these different phases mm-hmm. of the pandemic, right. And our different levels of trauma that we're still kind of experiencing, but still working through, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, when we all became moms, I, well, I can say that I, there was a certain um, time where we thought about our own childhood and mm-hmm. how our household worked. Um, and so what was the work home family balance like when you were a kid? Like, did your mom or dad work or stay at home or work from home? Um, yeah, both of my parents worked. <clears throat> they both worked a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And they both worked with each other. <laughs> they they work in the same office. Um, <laughs> so they saw each other all the time. <laughs> uh, was it outside the home? Like um, their office was outside your house? Their office was outside the home. Yeah. And my parents, I mean, I just have memories of them working super hard. Like my mom, Yeah. she took two weeks off after she had both me and my sister and went back to work. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. And my dad, I mean, my dad worked, he's still working, you know, he's, he's almost 70 and he's still working. He spent a lot of time traveling um, between different countries in Asia. And for a period of like my middle school years, he was commuting between here and LA. He'd spend like the weekends here and then spend oh, wow. the, the week in LA because he had like a second job. Um, yeah. So they worked a lot. And I think part of that is probably also why they kind of are super supportive and wanted me to stay home. Mm. Um, I get that sense a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I think they, they talk about that. Um, yeah. I think knowing that they had to work so hard because they, they immigrated to the U S the year my sister was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were starting a new life here with like, barely any connections in a new company um, that they had started. So they busted their butts, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I feel like they still are in many ways. And, um, and I, I can tell that they want something a little different for us and, um, and have encouraged both me and my sister to spend time with our kids oh. while they're little. Because the work will be there, you know. Yes, think, the work yeah. will be there. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of our interview with Susie um, a couple episodes ago mm. where her parents worked a lot and she never saw her mom. And mm. so she had mentioned not wanting that. So it's interesting mm-hmm. like how we either choose something really different or our parents mm-hmm. encourage us to do something yeah. different. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I think her life really centered on us in in ways that were good and ways that were kind of hard mm-hmm. so um yeah I feel as though that partly informed my decision to to pursue work outside of the home but yeah it's sort of interesting yeah. how our, our family histories shape that yeah yeah my mom I think was like you need to go back because either you'll lose your skills or lose out on um, like potential uh, job opportunities, 
pretty much. And I think she was fearful that, I don't think she could articulate, she articulated in this way that being a woman, being a, a woman of young kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, and being a woman of color, like all these things in society sort of like make you, th- you know, like set it up where it's kind of hard to get a job, you know, like mm-hmm. a job where um, that you can balance the things that people think you should be balancing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think we interviewed uh, Jane who said like her mentor of a dinner generation was like, no, you can't even come to work pregnant kind of deal, right? And I, I was like, oh my God, that's so shocking. And maybe in my profession, I had a lot more support because uh, being in mental health, being a social worker, um, a lot of my coworkers and supervisors were women. So um, they kind of knew what I was going through, right? Like, and women who had children around the same time. You know, I told my, my boss very early on in my pregnancy because I was like, I'm so tired. If you see my head down, I just need to sleep. <laughs> And I want to tell you the reason why. And she was so happy for me. And she was so like, don't even trip. Don't worry about it. And so it's a different kind of experience, I think, than my mom had, who probably wouldn't confide in her white boss Mm -hmm. that she was going through all of this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's generational. Things have changed. Things have progressed. But I do, I can still appreciate the somewhat um, nonverbal kind of warning or unarticulated warning that my mom gave me, you Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. say, okay, go ahead. You can do it. Um, don't worry, I'll take care of the kids. You know, mm. if I didn't have her to take care of the kids, I think it would be a different mm. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do yeah. you know how much time your mom took off before going back to work when she had you and your brother, Cheryl? Just two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Wendy's mom. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Can you even imagine? But she had my grandma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so with my, so when I was born, my grandma was already living with us. Um, well, you talked a little bit about how maybe your childhood was different from maybe your kids, own kids' childhoods. Because we, Sarah and I talk about that with mm-hmm. our past guests too. Any thoughts of, you know, what your, what your kids' childhood, what, are your, what your kids are experiencing now that's maybe different from when you were a kid or maybe in some intentionality of making it different or intentionality of keeping um, shared values or experiences? Definitely a big difference and something that I, um, have spent a lot of time working on for myself so that I can do this for my kids is learning to understand our emotions and, you know, validating emotions with my kids. I think that's definitely something that is different compared to how, what I was like for me growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an aspect that's similar of like valuing hard work. Um, and, you know, I think with my, my daughter who's school age right now, like that's one of the things we um, emphasize with her. And like, I think my parents valued hard work, but they wanted to see like the results. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, they were more results focused. I think they, they, it was all about looking at like the report card and yeah. Um, yeah. What, how you performed. And I think, yeah, for my daughter and the rest, you know, my kids are younger, like thinking about building those, that work ethic and, and um, putting in hard work, I think is something that continues to be important, but I think also not 
not be so focused on the just the outcome of it or the performance. I think the the process of them learning and making mistakes and working through mistakes, I think is is um, just as important. I feel like one of the things that's also really different for my kids versus when I was growing up was just having like family around. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, growing up here, most of my extended family was all in Taiwan and my kids have cousins around and aunts and uncles, um, some who live in the Bay and some who live a little bit further, uh, but they have like a relationship with them and they have a relationship with their grandparents, you know, and I think that's something that I think a lot about um, and I think still have like grief that I work through around that, that, you know, when my parents came, then my relation, that really changed the relationship that the future relationship that I would have with my extended family. And like, I didn't know my grandparents very well. Um, and even like my cousins and aunts and uncles, I have a couple that I'm closer with, but it's, it's not quite the same as if you lived right there with mm -hmm. them, you know? And I'm, I'm glad they have that. And it's, it's really beautiful to see that um, relationship between children and their grandparents. And um, yeah, definitely brings about some like longings that I wish that I had, you know, um, mm -hmm. with my yeah. own grandparents. Mm -hmm. One fun fact is that Wendy's mother-in-law and I shared a hairdresser at a certain <laughs> point in time. <laughs> The most randomest fact, but it's true. It well, she's true. really stylish. You're <laughs> both you, Cheryl, and Wendy's oh, mother-in-law. Wendy's mother-in-law, definitely for sure. I think probably still goes to her. She I does, can't yeah. afford her anymore. <laughs> well, I'm Facebook friends with Wendy's mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Go grandma. Yeah. She there has followed this hairdresser. Like, I think she no longer works at the salon she was at before, but she's followed her to her next place and still is a loyal client. Yes, <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah, um, so funny. Well, I, okay, sorry. That was just so random. <laughs> I just had to add that. Um, and we've also talked about, um, you know, our culture and, you know, being Taiwanese and having your children be multi- ethnic and multiracial um what's the conversation at home about like about learning about their own identity because um it is very varied you know like mm -hmm. do you talk about Taiwanese culture and does your husband talking about being mixed race what you know um what's that like and how do you guys navigate that yeah I feel like I bring a lot more of the Taiwanese culture to my family than my mixed race husband does for either of his cultures. Um, he often feels like he didn't doesn't really have a culture, <laughs> mm. um, which is interesting. I think his his mom, I would say, is really assimilated. You know, she's second generation, um, and then his dad, their fan, their the white side has been in America since the founding of our country. Um, so I think I, a lot of that cultural piece comes more from my side. Uh, and I think a lot about trying to teach my kids more of the language for sure. Uh, that was something that I was really good at when my daughter was young. And then when she went to preschool, she lost it. I think similar to Sarah's kids. <laughs> um, 
and it's been hard to get that back. Um, but we do talk about like some of the the cultural values. You know, I think um, Taiwanese people really are hospitable, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that is, you know, I think that's both a cultural value, but also like a, a faith based value that we have um, to show hospitality and. Um, I think there's also like some of the the uh, like holidays and celebrations that we try to still um, have. Well, you know, for for Lunar New Year and um, yeah, Mid Autumn Moon Festival. I think a lot of it centers around food. Honestly, mm-hmm. like I think that's that's been um, it's one of the easiest ways to do it. Um, but also like trying to read books that highlight those stories and some of the like origin stories about those um, celebrations and and also uh, more modern day adaptations of it. Those are some of my daughter's favorite books, actually. She really likes some of those. Yeah. So um, just trying to find ways to weave it into uh, everyday life. And so um, on your husband's mom's side, she's second generation, which means her parents were immigrants from China. Okay. Mm Yeah, it's interesting. That would be like my generation. Yeah. Or yeah, being second gen. Um, mm-hmm. I probably have a lot. Maybe that's why we share the same hairdresser because we have a lot in common. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, Koreans immigrated a little bit later than you know, ch- the Chinese or Japanese communities. Like, well, I, I remember I was an adult and I met Chinese Americans who were my parents age and they spoke English perfectly. And I everyone I knew that was an older Asian was an immigrant. So I was just so surprised. Like I just wasn't, I just didn't know um, many people growing up whose families had been here for that long. So Mm -hmm. when I hear, when I um, know of people who, whose families have been here for generations, like usually Chinese or Japanese, I'm always like trying to see whether like what my life might look like in the future. (laughs) Like, Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) you know, are, will my kids be like Wendy's husband? <laughs> like, you know, what's, what's the story going to be? But yeah, yeah, because you know, it's just it it happens over time. You just lose touch with some of the cultural stuff and mm-hmm. you gain other things. But um, you know, it's a hard thing to pass down culture. So yeah, yeah and yeah. I was talking with my husband because I spend my summers. We would go back to Taiwan you know, almost every summer growing up uh, because all of my extended family mm-hmm. was there. Um, yeah. And I was talking to my husband about taking the kids back um, during the summer sometime just to immerse them in the culture and, you know, for myself to reconnect to it. Um, yeah. I think that's something I would like to do at some point. Yeah. Do it. Do it, Wendy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The fact that you can do that and feel like, um, you know, at home in certain ways, it's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I feel like I would be like, mm, I probably, I've said this on the podcast before. I'm like, I'd be super lost. Even though I've been to the Philippines without my parents in a different way. I felt very proud of that as a, mm-hmm. you know, in my twenties, I went back. Um, but yeah, like I think um, as then generations, future generations, like where will they go back to? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 
Well, we're close to wrapping up our conversation tonight. And we wanted to end with a couple of questions for you that we typically ask our guests. I think you probably know. Um, so one of the questions is, um, what is your favorite Asian mom saying? <laughs> um, so my mom loves like cure-all ointment. <laughs> like tiger balm? <laughs> yeah. um, so she, she uses tiger balm. She, I don't know. There's this thing. I don't even know if I'm saying it. But she, it's called, in Taiwanese, it's called mentholidang. It's like mentholatum. It's like a menthol rub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and growing up, it'd be like, you know, you get a scrape, like yes. some men- mentholatum on it. Or like, I think that's called Vix. Vix rub. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put some tiger balm on your stomach when you have a stomach ache, or if you have a pimple, like put the mentholatum on it. <laughs> so My mom still says that. She says, Oh, just put a little Vicks underneath their nose at night <laughs> and on their bottom of their feet, mm-hmm. and somehow their nasal passages will be um, kind of cleared. I go, oh, Yeah, okay, I'll try that. I don't know why the feet, and, and then put some socks on them. I'm like, Okay, okay, I'll try it. Growing up, the tiger balm that we used was like pretty small. Like, do they have larger containers? Of yeah, tiger it's at um, Costco. You could buy tiger balm oh, really? at Costco. Like, like a size? Like a yeah, like a gallon size. Oh gosh, tiger balm. Like the or like four jugs. No, I think it's it's maybe like four times the size of those small ones. Oh, uh, okay, that's still, it's like a tin. It's like a tin. Oh, okay, okay. And you yeah, can buy um, salon ones. pass. Do you know salon pass? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely. There's the spray and the patch. Oh, I didn't know there's a spray. <laughs> okay, well, um, the second one we have uh, that's kind of fun is, what's your Asian mom superpower? Do you have any superpowers as an Asian mom? I feel like I can do a good job of like contextualizing things for my kids and helping them understand how things fit into the bigger picture. Or like why their behavior, you know, like, or why we need to, why we think certain ways, or I think naturally as a teacher, right? Like, I think just explaining and teaching kind of comes naturally, I guess. Oh, so you don't say like, because I said so. (laughs) Uh, I try not to. (laughs) Or just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, you do have um, a very um, famous saying that we say in our house is that um, your daughter shared with us that, you know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. (laughs) That's definitely a superpower slash Asian mom saying it's like two in one. Yes, I'm not sure if I coined that. I feel like she she came home with that. Oh, wow. From preschool or from I don't know, from daycare or something i'm not sure okay well it's really stuck it i mean that's around though yeah we say her name we're like remember <laughs> what so-and-so said oh yeah we just don't get upset we just we get what we get <laughs> <laughs> do you have any asian mom superpowers sarah oh dear do i that is a hard one i could share you an example i don't know if this will yeah yeah it. tell us tell but us. My Asian mom power is making fun of my parents, but in a way that's honorable. I don't know. <laughs> right? That, yeah. 
when I say, oh, remember Lola said this? And I would say it in my mom's accent, which is not really my mom's accent. It's just me making fun of my mom. But I would always like say, oh, but you know how Lola, she makes the best food. You know, like, I, and then I, I do have the little thing that say, I say, okay, because you're Filipino, we can do this amongst ourselves. <laughs> However, when you're out in the world, I want to let you know if you do that, then you're giving other people who are not Filipino or from your same background, sort of permission, quote unquote permission to make fun of other people's accents. Mm. And we know that's not right. You know, my mom never gave me that talk. <laughs> <laughs> she just says, oh, don't be a smart aleck trying to always um, correct my English, you know? <laughs> well, it's probably less like you're making fun of her accent. And you're just kind of like, in, you find it endearing maybe, or, you know, you think that's what it is? Uh, I think it's just my generation. Part of it is like, oh, I can't even speak Tagalog, so go ahead and make fun of me. And, you know, we always want to make fun of our parents uh -huh. in a way because we, we really can't, but I can make fun of their accent. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, they don't even have, I, I know, I don't even hear the accent most of the time, uh, but it does come out like, hey, mom, what's that store you go to when you buy that pasta that our kids like? Oh, I like to go to Trader's Joe. <laughs> Where did you go? Trader's Joe. <laughs> okay, I, I just I just thought of mine. Okay. And I, I don't think this, I mean, I feel like it's an Asian mom superpower, but it could also just be a mom superpower or a parenting superpower. But I think it's um like anticipating the need. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So I know what my kids will want before they mm. have to say it. Wow. It's like mind reading. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's my, my Asian mom superpower. Nice. You know, my mom superpower, and I don't know about your, your moms might do this too, is like, she knows like um, what you like in a certain dish. So like, let's say it's a soup oh. with a lot of different things in it. Mm -hmm. She will pour out everyone's individualized because she knows like certain people like the broth more and certain people like oh, the veggies very, or certain people yeah. like, you know, like things like that. So that's yeah. my- Super thoughtful. That's my, my mom's superpower. And I'm hoping mm. that I'm picking up. I, I think I've picked up on it a little bit. Like I definitely know what my kids- and my husband like and and mm. um you know what they prefer and i try to accommodate that as much as possible but sometimes you get what you get and you get <laughs> <upset>. <laughs> or me being the sour puss in this all this i always think my mom thinks i she knows what i want but um it's like frozen in time like oh, no. i used to like it this way and yeah, she always goes yeah. oh cheryl always likes this thing this like soup but and she loves this and I'm thinking I did when I was 12 <laughs> but I'm 44 now I, I don't have the same taste but I don't tell her because uh, I'm like I don't want to disappoint her yeah you know uh, uh -huh. <laughs> so we may know what our our kids want but we may not know so we always should ask yeah we have to allow <laughs> them true. to change to yes change, yeah. <laughs> I thought of another Asian mom or a, a better Asian mom superpower. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm pretty good at finding like frugal ways to have fun with my family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm all about discovering go with the Yes. <laughs> yes. Sarah was complaining that there were no more tickets in discover and go, right? <laughs> I, you know what? It was like 
I started checking stuff because, you know, COVID has been yeah. a little bit not as bad, but then like not everything's reopened. So I was kind of bummed mm, that the yeah. pickings were slim. Yeah. I know I haven't checked recently, but yeah, I think I think about like getting like even thinking about getting stuff for my kids. Like I love the buy nothing group. And yeah. Just I'm frugal in that way, you know, just to maximize. The- yes. As little resources. Available. Oh, that's a yes. good one. Yeah. Wendy, good one. Wendy and I sent our husbands um, to Craigslist pickups, um, <laughs> random times of the day, right? Well, like, here's the text. Here's the address. Yes. He'll put it out on the sidewalk. <laughs> just grab it and then just come home straight, right? <laughs> yeah, my husband is very used to those texts. <laughs> It's like his name is Frank. Who's gonna put the table out there? You don't have to interact. He knows right. my husband is picking it up. <laughs> We've arranged it to goes. be contactless. Yeah. <laughs> my latest thing is sorry, just to add to that. Okay. Is I've, been, <laughs> I've been selling clothes to um, mommy's trading post in Alameda, oh, okay. and like you know, I just kind of like pick the things that aren't stained and just kind of see what will happen. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they, they've picked up a couple things and then they have toys there. So then mm-hmm. I could just like use the credit to buy toys or mm-hmm. other stuff my kids need. So that's mm-hmm. been my, my latest little, very small side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice. Thank you so much, Wendy, for joining us. Um, there's always so much to talk about. I feel like when we leave our conversation, we'll we'll think of like five super Asian mom powers. <laughs> and you could text us once you remember them and we'll add it to the description. Yeah, then we could have a, another follow-up episode where we talk more about our Asian mom superpowers. <laughs> Thank you for being one of our top five listeners, Wendy. <laughs> Take care and don't forget to call your mom.